talk about my life and my ways. I'm just continually blown away by this beauty of this incredible nature that you have given to me. But I'm more amazed at the character of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. And it's just, it's just such a fascinating thing for um, the people of God to not be confused by the Bible. Not just topics, but like, okay, what is the point? Um, a lot of times, pastors and teachers come over and try to make it more interesting. So we'll, we'll just, we'll take some simple topics and then teach us about them. Well, that's not important to us. Um, other uh, pastors and teachers take a book and they go like this by this and this other by this. Not so much with that. Um, one of the things that, that I, I hope that uh, as we continue our journey that we get good at is um, that we actually understand the Bible as a whole, because there's some juicy parts in there that we just don't get. And um, I'm, I mean no disrespect in that. I'm telling you, this is the beauty of what's incredible. Um, it's below the surface of things. It's engaging. It's, it's in depth. But, but it's also confusing. It's easy to get stuck in that. And Jesus, though, is convinced that this whole thing is just incredible, that he's taking care of his people. He's convinced that no matter what page you're reading when you, when you read through Scripture, he imparts to him. At some level, it's going to be confusing. And what the Apostle Paul says is that if we'll engage with the Scriptures according to the way the Spirit is leading us, then we should come out with more wisdom for rescue in Jesus Christ. That it should take us not just to Jesus as a historical figure or a, a, a figure of literature and Scripture, but like that we need rescue. That, that what's going to rescue us is not something we do for ourselves, but trusting someone else. Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, where he says, He said, When he reads the Bible, he thinks we should come away with wisdom for salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm just convinced that if I if I am on a page of the Bible that it, that I cannot tell how it points to Jesus. Or that I'm not gaining wisdom for salvation through Jesus Christ, then I think I'm never saved. And that's not the Bible. That's on me. So it's my desire to just try to simplify a lot of these things that we cover here um, with just enough detail to show you it's actually readable. But with not so much detail that we get hung up in it too much. Um, because the more I've stopped and studied the Word, the more I get it. And I keep thinking how many things that we don't cover. And then I'll learn something else and I'll so much more to learn. Uh, I was just spending this time this week teaching through through the Word, and um, uh, just how much depth is there. So as much as I would like to just get stuck on one verse, I just don't have the time. So we can't get stuck on one verse, um, but we are talking about how the Scriptures are the story that leads to Jesus. Just briefly in review, um, the, 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 the Scriptures began with God creating the heavens and the earth. He speaks life, and life came to this world. He calls it good. And he's in charge of this world, but he creates image-bearing beings who he wants to be in charge of this earth. Like, you have to walk away from Genesis 1 and 2 and see that who God wants to rule the world is people. But not without him. There is a partnership. There's many ways we can talk about relationship with God. We can talk about our friends and our schools and Abraham and Jesus and David and Jesus. And then in Christ, we all become friends of God. We can talk about God, uh, the Father, as our Father, a relational connection with God as our Father. And that's active. We can, we can talk about being the bride of Christ and Jesus as our husband. And that's an accurate relational uh, description of our relationship relationship with God. But from page one and two, what is included in that relationship, of all the things that could be included, what must be included is our relationship with God is that God creates a good world, but he puts humans in charge. Not independent of him, but in partnership with him. And he creates his garden temple of Eden and puts the humans in that garden temple and tells them to work it and keep it, to extend the garden to the rest of creation. But they get a choice. Will they trust God's wisdom and be connected to the tree of, of life, God's wisdom as to what's good and what's not good? Or will they seize that wisdom for themselves? Will they decide what's good and not good for themselves? Seize that knowledge for themselves?
is this what God did? Revelation 21, verse 5. Then I saw a what? New heaven and a new earth. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was not there. Okay, so first of all, when you read this in your Bible, you understand you're dealing with a kind of literature that it just builds on itself. And by Revelation 21 and 22, we're at the end of the Bible. There is an entire Bible that we read to get some of this imagery. It's not to say a new creation means the ocean. So I don't know how many ocean people there are. I'm not the ocean people looking at me. Come down from the ocean. Get this, you know, like, this is hot. So like the ocean people, it's not like it's just like, no, 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 no. The sea is always an, an image of chaos. Always. Just look at Psalm 69, for example. Five, six. Five, six, seven. Um, where, where David, or the, the poet, is saying that enemies have come against me, the waters have come up to my God. Chaos, enemies. He's saying that, that what that which causes chaos and, and violence and enemies, okay. And it's not to say that God has blotted out the first heaven and the first earth and put it in effect. Um, Romans 8 talks about the, the new creation being birthed from this new earth. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See all the imagery. Is it a city? Is it Jerusalem? Or is it a bride? And John's like, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, humans. God wants to be with people. His presence, remember, humans hid themselves from the presence of God. Now, here at the end, God's presence is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. You see how it's all plural. It's not just one person. It's, it's plural. People. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall not be there. seated on the throne said, and he's going to point to himself, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down. These words shall be on your hearts. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his inheritance, and I will be his God, and he shall be my people. John verse 20. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the Nations know that the people will be saved. All the nations that are in rebellion will suffer. The traffic will be for nations that delight in it. And the kings of the earth will bring their courts to it. And its gates will not be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory of the bride of the Lamb. Verse 12. Then the angel showed me the river flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve branches yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for what? Healing of all things. 
Ik ben met de lamp in de mond en ik schreeuw en ik bid. En ik zie hem steeds en ik denk dat hij daar komt voor mij. En eindelijk geef ik liefde en waarheid en geef ik hem mijn hart. Lord God, today is the day.
Okay, the end of verse 13 comes to mind. Look at verse 14. Then Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. So, so what does God curse? The serpent. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15. Whatever if you've got a real Bible, sorry, uh, not like just digital Bible, fake Bible, but like like a, like a, like a real Bible. You shall go and you will eat dust. It's an image to say you're gonna like you're gonna be defeated. You're gonna live in the dust. You're gonna you're gonna live like like it, it, on your belly, but you can't get any closer to the dust. So so you're gonna be defeated. How so? I'm gonna put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Now it's hard to get that. Like the biblical writers.
belly eating dust like grovelous There will be a
It's like a predatory ant. It's looking for a practice to do. Its desire is to dominate you. What does God say? But we must rule over it. It's like the creatures that you've been given dominion over. And its desire is to consume you. Sin is waiting for the slightest crack to pounce and consume you, dominate you, ruin your life. But you must dominate it. You must rule over it. And I came to you. Ham fell for the world. And then he's exiled further away from the garden. And again, God says, cursed are you because of the blood. The ground that you committed violence to in your brother, his blood is in that ground crying out to me. And now because of that violence you committed to another human, the result of that is the ground is cursing you. And then you follow the storyline and you get to chapter 6, where verse 5 is just the worst indictment you can give to Cain. Chapter 6, verse 5 says, Yahweh saw the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a lot of adjectives. To try to describe the evil in human required multiple adverbs of ongoing verbs that, that, that added to it would be adverbs continually. Think about that. Every intention of the heart, every desire, intention of the heart. The intention of the heart is our decision-making capacities, our desire to act, and what comes, the action that comes from that desire. He says it's only evil continually. There was not an exception. Think about that. I've had a few bad thoughts in my life. I can't say that, like, I've had a whole day where the only intention of my heart was only evil all day. And he says, every human on the planet, the only desire of their heart was to do evil always. When humans define good and evil for themselves, we all end up in evil. That's what we're supposed to see. And what is God's response to this? Verse 6. Thank you. 
God that's coming to defeat evil. But that's a promise. It's not exactly the same thing as promise. It's not him actually being called Jesus Christ or his covenant and Jesus Christ being called Christ. It's piggybacking on that relationship. So, covenant. Formal agreement. What does that do for me? Quickly. Thank you. 
the pink is about the pinnacle of the life of the man. Then we have the first of the four main Old Testament covenants called the Covenant of Moses. And each was selected to be taken as a group of God's faithful children of Israel. And we have Jesus as one of those covenants. Uh, there was many things in the story of Noah to Abraham, Isaac, through Adam, and a new birth, a new body. Okay? Abraham, an identical figure through Adam, through a new body, through a new covenant with God. My question is why not a covenant with Israel? And he comes out of the ark, and then as sacrifices are offered, there's trumpets that go into place. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of everything in the ark, intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, can you just read through that? You don't get the syntax very often. But look at how that sentence is structured. I will no longer curse the ground because of man. Do you know why I'm never going to curse the ground because of man? Because of him. You see how that just doesn't make sense at surface level? You would think he would say, I'll never again curse the ground because God is a bad person and I'm not bad. You know what? Humans, they're not so bad. Maybe they can do good. Maybe they're supposed to be good. No, he says, I know humans are evil. I know they're going to choose evil. I know they're going to they're going to define good and evil for themselves and it will only end up being evil. If I choose to explore this out to rid the world of human evil, Eventually, there's not going to be any humans. So I'm going to explore another way of saving humans. I'm not going to explore the route of destroying evil by ridding the world of evil. God swears he will not rid the world of human evil by getting rid of humans, and he swears it. Think about that. starts over, and what does God do when he starts over? He blesses them to do what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Where have we heard that? In barren Hadith. Go down to verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Just in this section, this in this section, the 
is what this story is all about and how he Thank you. 